to show love, but it costs you something. I want to um, take us today to 1 John, a conversation about love that probably is not unfamiliar to you. Um, it's probably a passage that you're familiar with, and I don't know if you prefer to look on the screen or to open your Bibles, but I'm going to read from 1 John um, chapter 4. And this passage is all about love, not Valentine's Day love, but it just really happened to fit because it's February and we just passed that day. But Jesus' love, which is so much bigger uh, than Valentine's Day love. I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. It says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I didn't know ahead of time about your vision month uh, for February, but uh, when Pastor Stephen was talking about it just now, he talked about the fact that we want to love our community and, and show that love. And so I think these, these, these thoughts are going to well connect to your vision uh, series uh, for February. God does that all the time. And you don't be impressed with me one bit, but the Lord, he just knows how to put those things together. And, uh, and he does that. Well, I want to start in verse, I just sort of want to hover and sit in the last couple uh, verses there in verse 11. On many levels, these are not difficult words. And they're probably not words that are unfamiliar to you. You've probably heard them. It's just that more in practicing these words is where we tend to struggle. (laughs) Yes, we know we're supposed to love one another. Yes, we know that God is love. Yeah. It's like, yeah, these are not hard things. These are not new things, right? But it's in practicing that love that we often can stumble or fall. We are mandated to love others just as God has loved us and died for us. And in fact, if you uh, look back in verse 12, it says that's actually how people are going to know who God is. People are going to know who God is because of his love working in us. So it's not just flippant words. Love is sort of something we talk about so much that it almost loses its value, but God's love is so different and so powerful. Well, first, I love how verse 11 gives us a reminder of the previous verses. So we are assured of God's love, right? Verse 9 says, this is how God loved us first. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. And then that obligates us to love others. It's actually an ought to. It's a duty to love other people. Verse 11 is kind of like a cause and effect, right? Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It's a cause and effect. Since God loved us, now we have to love one another. It's like, you know, since you ate your vegetables, you get dessert. Has anyone done that at their house? 
Mm -hmm, exactly. Since you did this, now this is going to happen. Since you worked so hard, now you're going to get a bonus, or now you're going to get a promotion, or now you get to go home early, or whatever the thing is. Since this, now this. Since God loved us, the next step is that we ought to love one another. Now, often as recipients of goods, good gifts from God, we are also called to give that gift away. God freely gives us many, many things, but he doesn't tell us to hold them tight. He tells us to give them away. We receive forgiveness, for example, from Jesus. And when we sit and repent and ask God to forgive us, he extends forgiveness to us. But then he also expects us to forgive other people. So he gives us the gift of forgiveness, and then he asks us to forgive others when they wrong us. He gives us another gift. He gives us the gift of grace and mercy. And then what does he tell us to do with grace and mercy? Hold on to it tight and enjoy it? No. He says, I've given you this gift, and now I expect you to give this gift away, this gift of grace and mercy. We have received generously from God, and we are called to give generously. He gives to us, and he asks us to give it away. Jesus washed his disciples' feet and then asks us to wash the feet of others, to serve others. We receive God's love, and in turn, we are asked to love other people. There's a gentleman by the name of Greg Boyd, and he describes love this way. He said, love is ascribing worth to someone else at a cost to yourself. I'll say that one more time. Love is ascribing worth to someone else at a cost to yourself. And then the opposite would be true. The opposite of love is basically judgment. Judgment is ascribing worth to yourself, and it costs someone else. Does that make sense? So when we judge someone else, we are valuing ourselves, our opinions, the ways we do things, over someone else, and that costs them. It costs them in our poor judgment towards them. It costs them because maybe we're not going to be kind or generous towards them. So when we ascribe worth to ourselves over someone else, that's judgment. Love is the opposite. And Jesus shows us this exact definition of ascribing worth to us at a cost to himself when he died for us. Exactly what we just celebrated in communion, remembering Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross is this perfect example, this perfect definition of love. His love for you and I came at the greatest cost to himself. Jesus ascribed to us the greatest worth by lovingly paying the price to die for us. And this passage in 1 John is saying that this love that we have inside of us now that we've received from God should look like his and should not be kept to ourselves. The Tyndale commentary, which I love sort of when I'm researching messages, reading in that, in that uh, commentary, it says, no one who has been to the cross and seen or experienced God's immeasurable and unmerited love there can go back to a life of selfishness. How can we receive this most amazing gift, this 
love that kind of like blows our mind like we can't actually understand it because it's so amazing that we would go to the cross and understand that Jesus loves us so much and, and go back home and be like, yeah, whatever, that didn't change me. How could we not be changed by God's love for us? J.D. Walt uh, writes in the Seedbed Organization, and he says this, here is the good news. Here's the good news. While we were still broken and separated sinners, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to restore the bond, to recover the lost union, to redeem the brokenness through renovating the abiding attachment. This is love, once received from God, that restores our souls, reclaims our hearts, changes our minds so that we can be more like Jesus, so that we can receive more over and over again and then give it away to others. This is the divine possibility available to us every single day of our lives. Every single day, we have the opportunity to receive that love and to give it away. Well, what can this look like? You know, as we look out into culture, whether church culture or secular culture, whether social media or blogs or talks, I really think we are missing the mark on loving one another. And I think we um, become unloving in categories. So just, so just try and work with me here for a minute. Um, and when I say we, like, I'm not saying you. I'm saying we, as in the group of us. We're all here standing. We're on the same floor. We are together in this. And so I say this humbly <laughs> as we. Um, practically, we can be quite unloving sometimes. Uh, or maybe I should just say I. You guys are very lovely. I love being here. But, every, but we all have the ability to judge. Those people, can you believe that they're like that? They always do this. You know, anytime you say always or never, that's always dangerous. Those people over there, you know, as if, as if we never do those kinds of things. And we put people into categories, which actually allows us to dehumanize them. When they're not in our category, we can dehumanize them as a group. And often not seeing a face or an individual, we, we just sort of like cluster people into groups. And it doesn't allow us to see an individual that bears the image of Jesus. So let me give you a couple of examples that I've thought through um, and sort of, sort of worked through. Things that we really need to um, take back. Those thoughts that start to stir in your mind when you say, oh, those people, and kind of roll your eyes. <laughs> we need to take those thoughts back and we need to take them captive. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 10 verse 5 says, we take captive every thought and we need to make that thought obedient to Christ. So as soon as that unloving thought comes into your head, you need to say, whoa, no, this is not from Jesus. This is not who I want to be. This is, what can I do about it? We, we stop, we need to stop. But instead of stopping, we often stew, <laughs> stew on thoughts about people. And it can really impact how we treat people, how we talk to people. So I want to look at a couple categories today. Often this happens between generations, okay? We can be quite judgmental between the generations, okay? Like, 
those boomers, like seriously, <laughs> right? Come on. You know, what are, they're so old school, they're so traditional, right? Like, and you can kind of roll your eyes. They're so unwilling to change, you know, we can just downer on the boomers. Or, or those millennials, right? Or those Gen Zs. They're so lazy, like they don't want to do the hard work like our generation did. And so we, we blanket statement that whole group, that whole generation, right? Um, and because I want to be an equal opportunity and I haven't mentioned my generation yet, um, I wasn't sure actually what my generation was called because I don't usually make fun of my own generation. I suppose that's maybe why, but I'm a Gen X. That's right, I'm in my 40s. And, uh, and apparently we think we know everything. We're arrogant and skeptical. Okay, and so, and so maybe people have said those sorts of things. I even read that the Gen Zs are calling the Gen Xs the generation of Karens, okay? And I'm, if there's any Karens here, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry because society has hijacked your name and it has ruined your name and turned it into something quite unpleasant. And, uh, and uh, so I'm sorry for, for anyone who, who bears the name Karen because we're, we've been quite uh, mean to Karens. Um, but we do that in generations. Oh, those older people, we roll our eyes, or those younger people, you know, they don't understand. As if, as if our generation, whoever is making that statement, knows all the things and loves perfectly and does all the right things, right? We do this between the genders, right? Oh, women, they're so emotional, you know. Or, oh, men. <laughs> There's no amening necessary in this section either. You know, oh, men, they're so unnurturing, or they're so this, or they're so forgetful, or they don't care, right? And we blanket statement groups of people and we are ascribing worth to ourselves and judging and putting down other groups of people. We do this with other cultures. Oh, that group of people, you know, they don't care about time. They're always late or they're lazy because they're not exactly like us because we must be perfect. And they're always so low. Those people are always so loud. Or why does that group of people always complain? Or, you know, that country, those group of people, they're so harsh. We, we group people and we make the most unloving, judgmental comments. Now, through COVID, the, the most uh, uh, judgmental statements have often been about political groups, right? Political groups. And don't panic. I'm going to equally opportunity everyone here. But like, you know, oh, you, you roll your eyes. Oh, those, you, know, you hear somebody say, oh, they must be liberal. Yeah. Or they, oh, they must be conservatives. You know, you roll your eyes. Oh, yeah, that's definitely an NDP comment, or that's the PBC, or whoever. And we roll our eyes, right? And we act like Whatever we are is the right thing all the time. And it is just extremely unloving. And I'm saying we because I have been part of that. And there have been times that I have been embarrassed and had to go back and apologize about the way that I have spoken about other people. I think if people looked at me and saw me make that comment or heard me make that comment, they would not be thinking, that girl loves Jesus. That is judgmental. That is not Jesus dying for me because he loves me so much and me giving his love away. It's not at all. It's ascribing, ascribing worth to myself by putting down other people. And so as I, as I read through this, this section in, in 1 John, I just think the biggest way that we will impact our community of Wayne Fleet and beyond for Jesus is how we show God's love. How we reflect the love that has been freely given to us, not the eye roll, not the blanket statement about people we don't like or don't understand, 
but maybe just keeping those things to ourselves, which is really hard for me because my mouth tends to really fast. <laughs> Some of you may have the same problem as me. Um, well, we know that repetition in a family, if you have small children, you're probably, or even teenagers, no offense, McLaren, but um, bigger, you know, it might be true. Repetition is something we use over and over again. Why? Because we are trying to reinforce something that's important. And so all through the New Testament, you are going to read passages about love and God's love for us. But I'm going to read another one to you from 1 John 3.16. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Did you hear that? And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. We are called to this love, a love that ascribes worth to other people at a cost to ourself. Our self-sacrifice is called upon as we experience and receive Jesus' sacrifice for us. And when can we see this kind of love in action? Love that costs something. Well, it can just simply be in words. Love in action can just be kindness. It can be kind words. It can be our reaction to people or our not reaction. Like when you receive something in your face, my face says everything. I do not play poker and would not be good at any sort of game where you have to be because my face is sort of, it just says it. But how do people see me receiving them? Is my face reflecting God's love? Sometimes we can love people by giving them the benefit of the doubt or giving second and third chances. Sometimes we can love people just by not manipulating them when we know we could, when we know we have the upper hand, but we don't take advantage of the upper hand. And even not trying to have the last word, mercy, that one is hard too, can be a real act of love. It costs us pride sometimes. It costs us you know, our desire to be right all the time. Um, this is love. I should say too, love that costs, your, I can't think of your name, Ruth? Rhoda. Is there a Ruth Rogers? Yeah, okay. I have some of your names in my head. Oh, she, oh, hi, Ruth, it's good to see you. <laughs> when you talked about the donation that was given to the Collard family this week, that is love being physically expressed. And that cost you something. It might have cost you resources you had in your home or finances. But that is love being expressed. That is receiving God's love and then giving it back, giving it away. Verse 12 then says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This passage really has uh, this significant call as verse 11, both of these verses. Neither one of these verses are easy in, in practice. God is unseen, and, and we know that. As a child, I, that just bothered me incessantly that he wouldn't just show himself to us because you know, we would all believe way more if he was, if he was visible, right? Like it would be so much easier if he was visible. That's what I told myself. But no one has ever seen God. But the greatest evidence of God's presence and his work is in you. And it is in me. And as we allow that love to be reflected through us, 
it becomes physical and tangible to other people. Other people can actually see God because he lives in you. And so as you reflect that love out, God is seen all over the place. And we can get to know him in a variety of ways. See, if we don't know him, we can't reflect him. But we get to know him through reading scripture. We see his life as he walked on this earth through the gospels. We see the Holy Spirit, and we see his work through Christ followers. And as Christ followers, we have the ability, because of Jesus, to allow other people to see Jesus in us. And this is a beautiful partnership that he allows us to be with. He doesn't need us. God is God, right? He could just do whatever he wants to do, but he partners with us. It's a wonderful blessing to show that love to others. And his love is made complete in us, or some verses, versions of the Bible say it is perfected in us. This word is a Greek word, it's pronounced telio, and it doesn't actually mean his love is perfect, but more that God's love is matured in us. As we grow in faith, God's love is being matured inside of us. And as we spend time in his word, and as we spend time in praise, in worship, in song, in prayer, his love is matured in us. There was an older pastor in our church who spoke, oh, years and years ago, but as a younger person, this was really a powerful thing to me. He said, if as you age both physically age, but also age in your journey with Jesus, you should be more caring, more compassionate, more patient, more generous, more loving, because God's love is being matured in you. We can't be the same person we were at the beginning of our journey with Jesus, or we're not allowing him to mature or perfect that love inside of us. And so as younger generations tend to look up to older generations, would this statement be true for you and me? Can people younger than you, younger than me, look up to my generation, to your generations, and say, I can see God's love being reflected in you. They probably wouldn't be able to uh, verbalize that, but they can see that something is different than you, in you. They can see that in your journey with Jesus, you have changed. You're different. Maybe you're, um, someone said to me once, it was my sister, you seem to be kinder lately. You just seem to be kinder. Maybe I was a bit of a brat, but you seem to be kinder. Why is that? Not because I managed to muster up more kindness. No. It's because as we allow Jesus' love to permeate us and change us and become perfected in us or matured in us, we are not the same. We do not stay the same. The greatest evidence of maturity in faith is not found in power or popularity, in the number of followers you have or admirers that you might have. It's not even passionate feelings for social justice or advocacy for good works, although all those things are good. It is in God's love in our lives be given out to others. The bottom line is that love is going to cost you and me something. And at the same time, it will allow others to see him maybe for the first time. And that's the beautiful tension of this verse. 
of these couple of verses. This challenge from 1 John 4, verses 11 and 12, is this, let us be a people who are living into this call to love one another, to love people in our thoughts, on our faces, in our words, and in our deeds, and allowing God's love to be matured in us so that everyone around us will come to know him personally. Him personally. Because it is not about us. It's about Jesus. And so as churches who are on mission, we have the same mission as churches. Just, we're just up the road, but we are working toward the same thing. And that is everyone in Wingfleet would know that God loves them because we have already experienced that love and we are pushing that out to people. We're showing people. We're giving that generously to other people. Let us be people who are so different that others encounter us, whether at work, whether just on the street somewhere, and they say, after you walk away, they say, man, there's something different about that person. I can't really put my finger on it. But something is different. And it's because of God's love. It's because of God's love in us. His sacrifice of his love first to us that we pour out to other people. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your sacrifice, for sending Jesus to die for us, this amazing ultimate expression of love. Thank you that we can celebrate that today through communion, reflecting on and remembering that you made this amazing sacrifice. And really, Lord, we are in awe. We are in awe of your love for us. And we want to be more like you. God, we want to love like you. And we want to be part of helping the world see you. And Lord, we acknowledge that it's really hard. And sometimes we do not do a good job. Sometimes we need to come to our knees and repent and ask for forgiveness because we didn't treat someone well. We, we did not reflect you to other people. And so Lord, when we fail, we ask you to forgive us. We ask you for a second chance and a third chance and more if we need it. And we thank you that you freely, freely give us forgiveness. Help us to be focused on what the Holy Spirit's prompting is in our life when he asks us to move forward and talk to someone new or when he asks us to give generously in some particular way, would you help us to boldly love like you love? And would you allow us to just powerfully impact this community of Wayne Fleet? Thank you for partnering with us to show the world your love. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you have a blessed week.